Swivel. From Swivel Media and the Product Bus, this is The Bootstrap. I'm Scotty Allen. The Bootstrap is your source of news and resources all about building startups from scratch. This episode, I'm joined by Gary Williams of Tractor Ventures to talk developing an engaging brand. But first, let's take a look at some things you should know. Here's the startup rundown for Thursday, the 21st of December. Airbnb will be hit with penalties and compensation costs after admitting it overcharged tens of thousands of Australian customers for accommodation. According to Startup Daily, between January 2018 and August 2021, 63,000 Australian users of the service were not made aware that the price of the accommodation they were booking was listed in US dollars, not Australian currency. This led to these customers being overcharged for their stays and over 2,000 customer complaints being made to Airbnb during this time. The global accommodation startup will be required to pay court penalties of $15 million, with the addition of compensation costs to effective customers. Oh, and just to clarify, that figure is in Australian dollars. A rare female-led tech exit has hit the news this week, with the bootstrapped business matchmaking startup Collabasaurus being sold by founder Jessica Rufus to fellow entrepreneur Lauren Swidenbank. Smart Company reports that Rufus worked three jobs in the early days of Collabasaurus in order to get the startup off the ground, and it has since boasted impressive numbers, growing by an average of over 84% each year and demonstrating a 46.8 profit margin. According to PitchBook data, female founder exits accounted for only 0.8% of total exit value in the US in 2021. Swidenbank is the founder and CEO of Cali Social, a performance marketing agency, and Rufus has stated that the two reached a quick agreement after a conversation that arose over dinner. As for Rufus, she plans to focus on her e-commerce brand Number 2 Co., a toilet freshener brand that she started in 2021. The Australian federal government is looking to loosen big tech's stranglehold on the news media industry, announcing that the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission has been granted new powers to keep tech giants accountable. Startup Daily reports that the federal government has announced that they will enact all five Treasury recommendations for amendments to the News Media Bargaining Code. The code requires that certain tech companies, namely Meta and Google, must negotiate with local news outlets to arrange compensation for the value that the outlets bring to the services of these tech giants. The ACCC will now be able to collect more information regarding these compensation agreements, and mandated reporting requirements will be implemented. And just to address the elephant in the room, no, this doesn't mention the Murdoch Press, and yes, it's probably toothless. Adobe's plans to require the design tool Figma have been abandoned due to regulatory pressures in the EU and the UK. According to The Guardian, this comes after a long process of both companies trying to make the deal work amidst concerns from regulators. Last month, the UK's Competition and Markets Authority stated that the deal would threaten competition in the product design image illustration, and editing markets. Shantanu Narian, Adobe's chair and chief executive, 
announced that Adobe and Figma disagree with the findings of the regulatory bodies, but have reached an agreement to move forward independently. The collapse of the planned $20 billion deal has resulted in Adobe being required to pay Figma a $1 billion termination fee. European Commissioner for Competition Marguerite Vestager said that the deal would have led to higher prices, reduced quality, and less choice for customers in the design space. And finally, our last story may sound like the beginning of quite a number of dystopian sci-fi films, and who knows, maybe it will be. Melbourne-based Andromeda Robotics has done an initial fundraise to build Abby, a robot that uses advanced AI and machine learning algorithms to learn from her interactions with humans. Andromeda's founder, Grace Brown, a 23-year-old mechatronics engineering graduate from the University of Melbourne, is leading a team of 10 to build six initial Abby robots to test in aged care facilities, hospitals, and with children who need a little extra companionship. According to the Andromeda website, Abby is a companion, a confidant, and a friend. No word on whether she will turn into a murder robot for free or if that will be an optional upgrade, and for now, I will observe from a distance. And that's the Startup Roundup for this episode. We'll be back in a moment. With new startups popping up every other minute, standing out is important. Beyond a memorable brand identity is the experience that your prospects and customers have with your business. Someone who is walking that journey right now and doing a pretty darn good job of it is Gary Williams. Gary is the Director of Engagement at Tractor Ventures. Over the last three years, Tractor Ventures has built a recognizable brand and voice as the premier alt-capital funding solution for Australian and New Zealand startups. And Gary has had a pivotal role in shaping the brand and the customer experience. We're going to unpack that journey so far, as well as cover the basics of revenue-based funding, and most likely Lego is going to get a mention as well. Gary, welcome to the Bootstrap. Good to be here. Thank you. I've got plenty of love for the the Bootstrap emphasis, and there's some funny ties into Tractor that I can explain as part of that. But yeah, it's great to be here, and thanks for asking me. Fantastic. Why don't we kick off by you explaining a bit about Tractor and your role? Yeah, I can talk a bit about Tractor Ventures. So Tractor Ventures are an Australian and New Zealand-focused funding company. I guess you could say a bank for startups in in a shaped another way. We've been around for just a tick over three years now. We funded some 165-ish companies for to the tune of around sort of 60 million odd. We're, we're sort of looking ahead into the future as well towards maybe the end of calendar year 2028 when we'll fund around 2,500 companies to the tune of a billion dollars. So that will entail a mixture of debt and equity. Debt, debt's a very unsexy word within, <laughs> I guess, the sort of the funding landscape. But when you understand the, the mechanics of it and how you use it to your strategic advantage, it's, it's quite powerful. And a large number of founders undoubtedly have had their light bulb moments and then recognize when they can utilize you know, debt strategically and step change moving forward. But also, you know, absolutely choose not to even go down the VC um, route if that's uh, not for them or they're not mm. even that shape um, of a company. So Tractor might have started off probably with uh, more modest ambitions where, where we, we thought we'd be just funding a number of bootstrap SaaS companies, to be honest. But it quickly started to scale and, and accelerate in some really interesting ways. So we saw that the use case for 
debt funding, particularly within Australia and New Zealand, started to become much more broad and varied. And as a result, we've been funding many different types of business models. But to give one particular example would be agencies develop, developing products in-house and then spinning those into recurring revenue models and sort of in a strategic way, sort of sunsetting clients to move their development team over to product side, develop those, ship them, mm. bring in new revenue streams for their agencies, which is undoubtedly a move towards the future and I would say a savvy way of businessing. <laughs> I, I, it really shook me back a moment when you said it's only been three years because the growth of the the company and the awareness of the brand has been huge. And it kind of, in my mind, it feels like it's been around a lot longer. I know we're going to get, we're going to talk about brand and mm. how you build that and build engagement. But you mentioned before we started recording that you were the first employee. Yeah, correct. It's not, it's not something I lean on. I guess that means something to some people. I say it every now and again, just to sort of let people know, because my, I guess my actual role is, you know, for uh, somewhat facetiously, I might coin it as spare parts from time to time. But you I'm, coin it as a lot of things if you look at your LinkedIn. <laughs> you yeah, seem to always be starting new roles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's just say there's many ways to market a brand, and I absolutely exploit LinkedIn as a platform at every opportunity in all its ridiculous ways. I think that, <laughs> that has entailed in, in terms of what you're referencing. Every now and again, I will change my title to something absurd. <laughs> in particular, with, with Tractor Ventures, we send Legos out, for example, Lego tractors, I should say, to the companies that we fund. And I have a lot of fun and joy in playing around with that. But, you know, a fun tip is that you can just add your profile to any company. Uh, there's no moderator <laughs> telling you that you can't. And sometimes <laughs> mm-hmm. you've got to market really creatively. But to maybe to bring it back, so my title would be Director of Engagement within Tractor. I think for wants of a better... Uh, you know, to to explain a little better, we have a shared mar- marketing function between myself on the content and brand building side, and another guy Dan on the marketing and technical uh, performance side, and we work perfectly fine as a you know a CMO of sorts, and that's how yep. we run. And then we bring a group of I guess other um, freelancers and creators around us to deploy various projects as part of the brand building activity. Mm. Where did the brand? come in like how early in the piece of the idea did i guess first of all the name but then the branding come into the piece i think you know we had relatively modest and quaint ambitions when we started as a company and when i say we you know obviously the three co-founders matt allen april m Wright allen and jody imam had sort of you know begun tractor as an alternative to traditional vc and as i mentioned you know perfect for bootstrap SaaS companies that have recurring revenue models that can basically, you know, utilize debt to, you know, in step change to grow, grow their valuation, don't give up any, you know, don't dilute any of their equity in the process and thus, you know, potentially have stronger conversations with VCs later at raise time, if at all. But I guess, again, as the new opportunities in the market came to be and we were accelerating quite rapidly and then maybe as I started to bring in some of, you know, some my efforts in in terms of what I've been exposed to in the past, you know, I've been involved in creative agencies and you know independent creative projects. And you know, I have a bit of a hobby just running events, for example, all over Australia and New Zealand. So that sort of came into it. And yeah, I mean, even even the events exercise, even though that's not the core part of what I do, that was one particular thing that we did as a, I guess you would view it as a. 
relatively cost neutral exercise where we endeavored to go mm. out on tour. And we've ended up doing that two years in a row with two different um, titles. One was the cost of capital in 2021, sorry, 2022, and uh, growth game in 2023. Now, in 2022, went out there after coming out of two years of you know, quite significant lockdowns. And there really wasn't a lot of companies sort of out there, you know, talking to founders and investors directly. And we were sort of, we went out there full of vigor um, to go out and engage in the ecosystem. And what we really wanted to do was storytelling, storytelling about destigmatizing debt as an, as a financial instrument for growth. And then that started to become even further exacerbated by the emphasis on brand building with the growth game series. And I think we, I think we might have achieved a fair amount of, I guess, industry recognition as a result of that by being willing to go to ecosystems that maybe don't get a lot of VC visiting love, let's just say. Mm-hmm. Markets like, you know, Adelaide, Perth in particular, Brisbane, Hobart, and certainly Auckland, et cetera. We, we've actively gone there, run programs, engage with investors, engage with the companies. But each time we go over, we're running the program, we're brand building and storytelling, and then we just collect a few founders along the way and we fund them and, and it, <laughs> yep. it works as a somewhat cost-neutral exercise, but definitely a good exercise in brand building. You really can't underestimate the value of doing those trips to, you know, we're, we're not a huge country, but outside of Sydney and Melbourne, the, the regional centres and the other cities are very underserved in a lot of places and you really can get a lot of love when you take the time to go out and actually face do face to face with them don't you oh for sure yeah for sure absolutely i mean it, it is a trust exercise for sure and and we're having a lot of fun by uh, being out there and meeting people like i guess jody your mom one of our co-founders would probably be the most frequent she's uh been out there very heavily um with myself and we've really put an emphasis on putting boots on the ground in all those ecosystems i think for us in terms of maybe the the you know the breadth of companies and founders that we funded you know, undoubtedly a majority of them would sit in Sydney and followed by Melbourne. But we know that with the other ecosystems that we we put the time in and the effort, they get to know us a lot more and we'll continue to fund them and, and build that advocacy as we go with, I guess, how our debt would run, the fact that we've got equity funding on the way in the future, and also to, you know, you know be present with our investors and founders as we roll around the country, pardon the pun. But, you know, one further point just to illustrate why it's important, you know, debt is a, it's an unsexy, you know, somewhat, you know, not a glamorous term, I guess, for the ecosystem. And maybe one of the most palatable would be, you know, mortgages. But apart from that, most people don't like the thought of debt. But when they start to understand how they can definitely strategically use it for their companies, it starts to have some very, very interesting spin-off effects. And I think about 30 to 40% of the companies. No, it'd be it'd be well over forty percent now of the companies that we funded have definitely returned to us over and over again, utilizing us as a resource to continually grow. And grow mm. means they would access, you know, an average of say three hundred K and then bring on that head of sales or that head of customer success, you know, pull that into potentially product development, et cetera, but undoubtedly sales, sales team members pour into advertising and more. You know, debt has been used as an instrument in the in the US and Europe since about the fifties, sixties. And mm-hmm. I think it was in 2021, you know, 17 to 20% of VC deals in the US comprised of debt alongside equity. So, and I'll, I've told this story all across Australia, but when you, when you talk about that context and you think about your Silicon Valleys and your, you know, your other locations all around, whilst the VC funding 
metrics and the exits, etc., are no doubt important for us to understand, I guess, the impact on those ecosystems that absolutely plays a role or has played a role for a few decades by now. Mm. I think debt is not just unsexy, it's just more real. VC capital is wrapped up in a more modern, cool bow, but actually what I think a lot of founders, particularly in Australia, don't understand is what comes along with that. And part of that is real loss of control over some of your runway and priorities that, that debt, when it is taken strategically, can allow you to have that more controlled growth that VC doesn't really like. Mm-hmm. Yep. VC wants fast, right? whether yeah, that means right. you know, throwing people out the window in order to you know, achieve it or changing priorities, you lose that sort of control over your one way. That's fantastic. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. why do you think that we've got this shiny object obsession with VC funding? Because a lot of the startups or emerging startups that we work with at Product Bus have products or ideas that are highly unlikely to be the sorts of things that are going to achieve funding with a VC. And Mm -hmm. yet I would say 80% of the people that we talk to are focused on that as opposed to revenue-based growth or or debt. Where did we get this obsession from? Oh, look, at I could spe- speculate in my own little way. I mean, I've been cruising, or I, should I say the wider team have been cruising around this um, tech ecosystem for quite some time. I mean, it's a good value prop for us, particularly as a brand, to have a functioning operational team that are largely made up of founders and a number of angel investors, myself included, literal VCs as part of our team from both an advisory and a product and tech perspective and sales. So, and when we say sales, you know, we're, we're definitely talking about capital strategy. Like these are people who dive in and, you know, get to know these founders, but know the heartbeat of how they drive their business. I think that, you know, I step back to maybe the, those early days of both Tractor really starting to ramp up. I probably joined maybe five months after the first press release announcing. I might have had sort of five companies on the, you know, within our, what we call our village now. So, you know, the companies will be funded and we love the farm pun. So, you know, bear with me. Bunch of dorks and idiots over here. Um, yeah, you're talking to the product bus people. So we're you're all good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, I could certainly remark from my perspective, seeing that, you know, we were definitely maybe perceived, oh, not definitely maybe like absolutely perceived as anti-VC in some fields and, you know, and sort of seeing that rhetoric sort of, you know, drift across the landscape or even sort of hearing it anecdotally through other, you know, people and whispers. But I think very quickly as, you know, those halcyon days of VC funding from, you know, probably 2021 onwards started to realize that, you know, VC funding is sort of has, has you know, sort of slowed, et cetera, where, you know, the wider ecosystem is starting to see, you know, sort of our debt funding as a viable alternative to VC funding when, you know, VCs have sort of started to turn their eyes towards the most viable one according to their invest, you know, investment mandates. But we're in a good position. We have many great friends within the VC ecosystem whilst also you know, actively rejecting some aspects of it when we mm. see you know, various bad actors in the space. We know that a majority of companies that VCs will look at are not and will never be VC-backed companies ever. Yeah. And we have our particular 
I guess, mandate as well, but ours are very, very specific in terms of revenue and runway sustainability, et cetera. Mm. So for us to be able to say, you know, if you're a company that is shaped as growing revenue, running sort of lean, growing sustainably, you know, if you listen to the audio, you won't quite <laughs> grasp my hand actions here, but a gradual curve up of employee growth would indicate, you know, a, a person at a time or a few that, that are aligned to aspects that can grow revenue. It's definitely the shape of, you know, growth for a company that's right for Tractor at sort of their early stages rather than that hockey shapes, you know, um, bring on 100 engineers at a time. You know, we, we, we've ridden some of the benefits of, you know, VC funding dropping where people came to us, but also in that, interestingly, is that a large amount of people were coming to us for rescue missions and we, we, we can't rescue companies that have both been churning highly and are running out of ru- runway dramatically. And obviously, the the narrative within there is that, you know, some aspects of that is how they've run their business, but other aspects of that may be how they've been advised to grow their business. And, and you know, that, that's a, a very true thing within the field. But obviously, we have plenty of already VC-backed companies within, you know, the, the 160 plus companies that we've funded. So it definitely can be shaped for VC alongside debt. But, you know, when I mentioned that cost of capital tour, that was a really interesting exercise where we've gone out and then the media landscape has basically started telling some, you know, very negative aspects about VC funding. So we saw a really interesting uptick in interest in what we were doing in attendance to our events. So saw that in yeah. live time. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, that, that's very powerful. And I think just educating people that there are alternatives because part of the size of our ecosystem and the fact that most of the events and bigger programs are run by people who've got the money to run them, which has traditionally well, been VCs. Those other pathways aren't necessarily being presented. And just knowing that there are alternatives there in our space where we are early days and trying to really encourage people to keep their options open, advocating bootstrapping, certainly in the validation space. And, and I find often what can happen is people. It kind of allows people to put some of the realities of business aside and focus on the dream, not realizing how unlikely it is that, and particularly the more that you pour into it, the the less likely it is that a VC is going to be interested in in what you're doing. Yeah, and you know having those options. Yeah, I could say as well. I mean, you know, obviously you referenced just before Scott, but you know, when no capital is free. And if you're going to take an amount of capital, et cetera, there's expectations attached to that capital and a cost to it as well. So the amount of equity given up at a very early stage from a VC perspective might seem like free, dirt cheap money, but that costs a lot down the down the lane. And the the ability to get to a, you know, obviously, you know, running through the thought process of getting to a, an eventual $10 billion exit, for example, you know, both their, you know, those types of exits are few and far between, but also there's a serious amount that goes into that. And if, you're, if you truly aren't like the, the type of company that can get there or the founder that can lead them there, like that, that's sort of okay. There's probably not yeah. an overwhelming amount of people that, that are shaped for the, that type of journey. Like, oh, I wouldn't be um, for sure. Mm-hmm. But, but we, definitely, we definitely have a large amount of companies that we funded. We, we, we know that a fair amount of them are, are pragmatically thinking about exits in the future for sure and acquisitions and whatnot. And perhaps, you know, eight, eight figure or even nine figure exits in a decent smattering of them is perfectly fine. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I think particularly with software as a service, I think one of the real challenges of a lot of SaaS models is that it takes a lot of work and time to work out how to scale them cost effectively because they are often higher touch implementations. They're more kind of customer intensive. And one of the things that I see, and I've been in a, a business in this situation where we, when the money comes too early, then you you scale in a really a way that is not cost effective. And because the pressure is there to scale and people are prepared to throw money at, okay, what, you need 50 people to make this work? Great, let's do it. Not realizing that isn't sustainable and that at a point, the same people that said, yeah, get 50 people will turn around and say, okay, now you need to get rid of 50 people mm. to, to, to balance that out. And that's that piece that I don't think that we we are transparent enough about as just a natural part of that VC process. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, look, I, I could I could talk from my experience. You know, I I you know found a like a real and lingering obsession with talking about being the next Canva and being the next Atlassian, like over and over. Every every event or room I pop up into, every panel, every etc. And it's like, you know, that's fine, <laughs> but like, you know, if that's your journey. Like, you know, by all means, go for it. But I I I I do I do feel or recognize or hear that communicated over and over and over and you know potentially the you know australian ecosystem in particular leans on that a little too heavily you know like i we have a particular emphasis on you know as we scale our function like to definitely have a a high functioning marketing media storytelling aspect to what we do at tractor and we'll just tell a lot of other stories and that particularly excites me Mm. one thing that i love about the way that Tractor Ventures communicates is that a lot of it is about the people that you're supporting. It isn't just about you. That and and I find that is something that is disappointingly a bit unique in some of the spaces where some of our other kind of you know networks or founder advocacy bodies, most of their promotion actually is about the people that are working there yeah right not yep. not the founders you know or, or, or the clients and so one of the the things that i wanted to talk to you about was how you build that kind of brand where obviously in our space people would know who Jody is who Matt is but they're not splashed across 100 pictures of every event and you've got that that brand that seems to be really more about the founders and and communicate that. So what do you see as like the essentials to building an, I guess I would call it like an ethical brand? Uh, Look, I I appreciate, you know, that and I'm always interested to hear the, you know, I guess people's perception. I mean, when you say that, you know, say the founders of Tractor Ventures in particular are not splashed across all the the advertising or or promotions that we do, that's 100% intentional. You know, just the same that, you know, I'll write the newsletters, for example, and, you know, it's not my name sort of attached to it. I've got a very real emphasis on, let's just say, there's been a narrative around, you know, identifying as a unicorn or a, or a rocket, for example. So yep. we get really playful in trying to communicate out to market, market, so to speak. <laughs> um, market, market. <laughs> that. You know, that if we tell this story over and over enough, that 
a large amount of founders out there and financial decision makers, an important one to say, look, we, we need a large amount of people who are driving the financials of these companies. And so we don't want to fixate on the founders solely too much by definition. Mm. And you know, I guess anyone listening who's been through our newsletters might go back through and you know sort of see that that's so. Like, you know, I'll even <laughs> put Easter eggs and whatnot into plenty of our our comms teasing out things are in the future. But, but definitely to have the ability for people to self identify as a tractor and how they run their business and how they would think about scaling their business strategically and and smartly is is a definite intention on what we're trying to put out there and something I think about every time I put the comms out. I want to get much better personally and just be vulnerable about it. Like I don't feel satisfied with enough of the stories that we pushed out there about the the companies we've funded. We've scaled dramatically and too fast, to be perfectly honest. So to gather up those anecdotes about the founders and financial decision makers is a, an important part of what we're doing. We're playing catch up, but we are setting up some scalable processes to be able to bring those stories in and then tell the stories back out. So, but look, it, it's quite funny, Scott. Like it, it might sound like I can, I can talk about just a few of these things in really rapid fashion. Mm. You know, we, I want people to sell, I want people to identify with the Lego analogy. That's a definite intentional thing, even though it's sort of a playful, funny thing. I want, you know, I want them to, you know, get that analogy about, you know, the building blocks, you know, straight away, but also Mm. it's amazing with sort of our profile of, you know, in particular the founders from the companies, you know, more than likely mid thirties to mid forties, for example, we've done some businesses in the past, pop culture and a bit of satire and, and nostalgia, et cetera, are very real things in our world. These are, these are definitely, you know, people who have been there for, for a little bit usually have, have been involved maybe as an operator within the companies and, and, and whatnot. Like, they, you know, they can appreciate some parts of it. And whilst I'll always seek to sophisticate the brand further and further into more, you know, technical financial realm in terms of our storytelling or even you know the helpful uh content that we can push out do lean on that and it does work it's a very real Mm. thing and we Mm. would probably get passed back numerous um quips from people who enjoy consuming our brand that they they do feel that we are speaking to them directly on their level and so we inject some fun into what we do for sure but we we try to be communicating as as on the level, because we we understand these founders and the people building the companies, we understand how their businesses work. We understand them. We're banks stone, and it's in, it's important to make that distinction that banks are lumped into this, not just uh, VCs. And I, I can talk about that a little bit more about the bank that we've built in the background, but that's that's a very real thing. And I'll say one last mm. thing, which is that to build our brand efficiently, it can't be reliant on just the founders that run Tractor. We need to. We need to remove them in some facets from the brand and have the brand speak for itself. So for people who are interested, even just down to simple things like going to the creative use for our growth game event this year, for example, you know, that that very, very deliberately didn't utilize faces and whatnot in the external facing things. I wanted people to really connect with the the Lego analogy and and whatnot. Mm. Last year's one was a bit more focused on games, so we all understand that we're playing a lot of games in this ecosystem, and that was very deliberate. <laughs> one, one thing that often really concerns me about our ecosystem is that I feel that there can be a mostly unintentionally predatory element to it in the sense that 
people can attend lots of events, do lots of programs, and without any real support or understanding from other people that they're just spinning their wheels, they're not actually progressing. Or because a lot of advice is not targeted, it is thrown out fairly carelessly, particularly mm-hmm. in some of the incubator programs, VCs tend not to be too blunt with people about what they see is not working, that they will get more those kind of niceties of, oh yeah, that sounds amazing. Like if you get traction, we'd love to chat to you. And the bootstrap founder takes that as affirmation, which can lead to, to, you know, and and I've dealt with some founders where when they've shared with me the amount of their personal wealth that they have staked on their idea on the basis of some of that. And obviously they're adults, they're responsible for their own choices, mm-hmm. but I feel ultimately like, Oh, we're kind of letting, we're letting you down by we're being nice instead of being kind. Nice is, Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. If you get traction, let me know. Kind is okay. Have a think about this. This could be a roadblock yep. in your ecosystem. How do you support people in that space? Obviously you've got a really, like I said, a really clear line of if people can read, then they understand whether they have a chance of getting funded by you or not. But how do you support those people that are not there yet? We we have an expectation we will speak to the majority of founders at some point in the future. But obviously, in you know, sometimes the best part of brand building is honestly the clearest articulation and the fastest nose. Honestly, like you know, I mean, people definitely treat us like a VC, so to speak, in terms of how they engage with us. And that will change over time as we go out repeatedly. But, you know, I mean, we will tread a a good considered line with telling the narrative, reminding people on how to like basically use us, use us as a bank, so to speak, but also remind them that if they engage with us as they would with the VC, which is to strategically plan this out and, and, and do it in this I guess, linear playbook fashion, which has been spoon fed to them by any number of other people who say that that's so will result in them coming to us potentially with, you know, not enough runway in place, three months too late, et cetera. And we, we will tell them no and no because of X, but undoubtedly we, we do want companies to speak to us as part of their funding toolkit, as in more to mm. like, what can I access debt wise? Okay. Now I know my option. I'm still exploring the VC thing, which is great. Like we, I think even if I could even say, Scott, like, you know, we, we have competitors on the market, you know, it'd be, it'd be bad marketing for me to mention them, but brand building, but I even, <laughs> you know, we, we have, we have, you know, had, had companies speak to us that have engaged with competitors and have gone with them and we'll, we'll, we're competitive. We'll, we'll continue to sharpen mm-hmm. up and refine and continue to get better and better and better with the terms that we offer. And, and we're moving in that direction. That's good. It's really good to see, but I, I can't, I can't bemoan the fact that, founders that come to us and then speak to our competitors as well as VCs, et cetera, and, and do it to know that that's a good thing for the ecosystem yes. that shows that founders have options. And that, that is a core yeah. thing to our ethos. So I can't bemoan it too much. You know, I'll just say mm. again, like, yes, we're very competitive. So <laughs> sort of like yeah. continue to be like striving to be the absolute best old capital lender in Australia and New Zealand and potentially other markets in the future. But, you yeah. know, that, that's sort of where we stand. And, you know, we, 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 have mm. a, we have a, you know, an ethical funding focus on our values page. You know, that, that is how we operate. So 
we we like to again just to go back to that the clearest articulation on how we fund what our parameters are and the fastest knows our yeses are fast like you know within a week we can fund the company to the tune of you know three four five six hundred grand but but waiting for us to, are fast as well waiting yeah. three to four months to speak to us to ask us for that amount of money when you could have bought salespeople on poured it into the ads engine you know got it running and be at a higher valuation before speaking to us again you know that's the type of smart businessing I'm probably um, referencing. Well, I, I mentioned earlier. I think that the illusion of VC allows people to kick some of the practicality cans down the road, where we see things at the pre-launch stage. Sure. And as experienced product managers, there are it's like sometimes it feels like professional dream killers where. You know, you hear the idea and then you've got to ask that really nasty question of, wait, how does this make money? Sure. And people can get very advanced in building an idea or even a product without answering those questions. And so I really like the idea of that early conversation with a someone with your model that's going to get just a more pragmatic answer about yes, no, not now, this is what you need to do. And I think we need to encourage those discussions earlier. Absolutely. Because part of what I think then happens is people think it, it, I know there's a bit of perfectionism, there's a bit of imposter syndrome where people, they want to kind of go away and get it just right and then pitch it, not understanding that they've spent too much money or spent too much time building something without all those validation pieces that a VC isn't really interested in. A VC is more interested in what traction can you demonstrate because they want to jump in and, and back a winner, essentially, rather than just a concept, unless you've got an amazing team with a, a resume of successful builds and exits that you can invest in. Correct. And so it's, a, it's kind of like a, a, a vicious circle in that sense. Do you, do you have people that, that get a no and go away and come back and get a yes? Oh, for sure. We, we've had. We've had companies over time. I mean, we've been going for three years or so. So, you know, we've seen a few of them over that time. Acted on your feedback and yes. So we do we do let people know, okay, your revenue is not at the stage that you know we need in, in terms of our credit and risk assessments. I can talk about the bank aspect in a second. That it is relevant, even though it sounds like the most boring shit, but it actually the whole narrative very well as people sort of understand what we're doing here and how we're not especially set up as like oh we don't trade in cheap biases by 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 a vc model so we say yes it's, it's a little more little more nuanced than that i would yeah. say that we have we certainly have a large amount of niche companies doing very niche things and so their their total addressable market you know so to speak is actually concentrated on a you know a very core audience of which there's very real material revenue you know the the whole reason we're called track ventures is because you know we, you know the the spin part you know the storytelling is that you know rockets are shiny and and you know glamorous but they blow up a lot of the time they're very expensive you know tractors are reliable <laughs> pendable sustainable and and you know farmers rely on the tractors and and the farmers in this analogy are the customers the customers that have these companies and they they're very sticky like the the customers of our companies that we funded are very much there for the ride with them for an extended period of time and are unlikely to churn. So more of that mm. or more of that, please. 
is likely to go and see you sort of like continue to spike your, your revenue growth. I think for us to say no, yeah, sometimes that would be on aspects such as, you know, increased churn, but we would also, for this, by the same token, we would get sent plenty of pitch decks and don't really need them, to be honest. Like the way our application process works is that people apply for our funding, they have the parameters. Plenty of uh, people don't read the print and that's okay. We, we meet pre-revenue companies and then tell them no very swiftly and they're like, okay, cool. <laughs> well, at least I know a bit more about your company now. Mm-hmm. But, but in our scenario, you know, companies come to us, they connect their zero to our zero and it generates a health score um, as you would with a bank when you make an application for, you know, some, some funds through a bank. But our credit and risk assessments, which is how a bank operates, is based on revenue. And that is not based on a founder or financial decision maker's personal assets, you know, aspects mm. of which we can seize in that process. So we do... You know, massive amounts of unsecured lending, meaning that, you know, we are basing this not on the founder's personal assets. We're basing it on the revenue that they've generated for a while in the past and will continue to generate in the future. That just means simply when there's seasonal spikes or various activity within there, our investment committee will then loop in with those people and say, what what are these activities? What occur? And that's where, you know, obviously aspects such as I spike my business with Google ads, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, you take a dollar of our capital, which has a cost. You pour that in there. You generate $4.50 in return, put that revenue back into the business, you continue the spike and scale. And that's sort of the way, the strategic way in which you would go. And sometimes some of these companies are doing multiple you know, forms of funding at the same time for those various mm-hmm. sort of like sales-focused activities. So for us, you know, having built a loan securitization platform ourselves, so basically how a bank would assess but a tractor means that, you know, we are a fintech by definition mm, and mm. that will continue to scale in the future in a really productive and interesting way. Interesting. You know, I know I understand the in the product world, you sort of, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> it's like, well, why is it interesting? <laughs> but it means, <laughs> yeah. in the future, means in the future many, many, many founders will be able to access funds, you know, say that average of 300K without speaking to a human. And you'll be able to access yeah. those funds overnight. So you'll be able to tap the button and get the get the two to three hundred K deposited in your account to do more of what really works for your business. And that is scale in mm-hmm. effect. And that will result mm-hmm. in large dramatic increases in revenue across the board for a number of these tractors. Where did the platform come in the evolution of the company? Was it oh, there I'll at the beginning the or yeah, we've got uh, Lance Hodges, who's um, our New Zealand general partner, one of the original six who joined. And he was working in product advisory for the companies that were coming in. So mainly just advising them on product at scale from his time working within a company called Bend in New Zealand. So he's exceptional from a product brain and with the founder mindset and understands it and gets it. But then someone he worked with in the past, Matty Evans, who's based in Brisbane, he came in as our director of engineering. And those two essentially built the the bones of this bank, did more than what entire divisions in, you know, traditional banking infrastructure could do just with their own two bare hands. So it's a fascinating case study in product and tech build in and of itself. And then in recent times, we've built in, sorry, we've bought in a further two engineer specialists in big data and AI. But this this isn't a fleeting, you know, current AI specialists. This is many, many, many years of experience in large language mm. models, et cetera. Mm. And now we're scaling. Mm. We're scaling very rapidly and quickly. 
in our functionality. And that means just an increased ability to send more capital out to the ecosystem to companies that look like that. One that that is fascinating, and my product manager brain would love to ask you a bajillion questions about that. But to yeah. stick on, yeah, stick on kind of our our theme. When we think about that wider engagement and what we build around us, you you talk about a village, community, and community managers seem to be uh, the word of the moment or the, the phrase of the moment. So, what's the difference between a village and a community, and how does that work? Yeah, I mean, this is a funny one for me personally. I mean, I've been frequently tagged um, as a community person, I guess, within the, you know, beginning in from, you know, my base in Melbourne through to, you know, like a wider reaching aspect throughout Australia, et cetera. I've run um, numerous um, numerous events throughout Melbourne and in Australia prior to Tractor. What can I swear? Oh, yeah. I wanted, definitely want to ask you about this. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Right, cool. yeah. Uh, it's, it's relevant for yeah. the audience. So yeah. Run, yeah. running events called Fuck Up Nights based on storytelling and a num- numerous other ones, niche, tech-focused, et cetera. You know, I've sort of been involved in the space for a long time, but, you know, I don't, I don't know whether I really, you know, like am, am all in on being like a community person in terms of being externally engaging. But we definitely have a head of community here at Tractor. You know, I actually began yeah, the the whole aspect of, community was more fixated on, you know, having a community of these tractor companies here and how we engage with them rather than treating the world at large outside our walls as our mm-hmm. community. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that that's an ecosystem or an audience or, or whatever yep. you want to call it. But for us, yeah, a community in our, like in our assertion or, or way we would say it is definitely the internal aspect and internal meaning the companies we funded. So we have a whole growth advisory stream that's on demand. We, us ourselves as the founders or leading operators within the company would leap in and problem solve certain aspects with the, the tractors that we fund. And that could be anything from product to, you know, engineering to, you know, PR and storytelling from, from my side, technical marketing, you name it. But in particular, fundraising would be a particular skill set that we would utilize internally and help certain mm. amount of founders who are going out there to raise further equity rounds on on what would be good to strategically do that. So that's our community. Yeah, don't don't know if I love uh, putting out a message of community, but we you know we use that analogy for the village, obviously within our thing. You know, mm. we have a lot of a lot of reciprocity bouncing back and forth amongst those companies. They're finding mm. some some peers who are working in specific verticals as they are. Uh, I don't know if e-commerce in. It's solely a vertical, but, you know, there's definitely a large amount of e-commerce founders that can, you know, learn off each other and learn about different practice on scaling and growing. I really like that distinction of community as internal. How do we bring our existing clients, essentially, you know, to, together? I feel like the community manager role or line has gotten very blurry in that sense. And what I recoil from a bit is where it just kind of feels like it's really like the cruise director, the events manager. Like we, we, we invent fancier titles for the same function mm-hmm. and it means, diff- you know, it means something different when it is that external facing it's marketing, it's events, mm-hmm. it's not community in the same way. And it can be a bit, again, I think unintentionally deceptive about what it means because at the end of the day, people need to understand the game that they're playing. And that there's, you've got to be there for a reason. You've got to be there for your own outcomes ultimately. And you, know, you could go to, particularly here in Melbourne, 
you can go to a startup event three times a week, you know, go to cocktail parties, be on all the Instagram and LinkedIn pages, but not actually be building a startup or moving forward in, in your life. What I would say is that, you know, I, I have no fixation on positioning Tractor as a community for um, X types of companies, et cetera. We're definitely not, you know, oh, we're out there funding our community bootstrappers, so, so to speak. I mean, you know, we're definitely very serious about going out there and saying we're providing an alternative form of funding. You know, we absolutely have a group of people that have taken our funding that are now operating in, in somewhat of a closed society. Of closed society. Closed, closed <laughs> ecosystem. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah, closed, closed ecosystem. <laughs> Tractor is oh a cult. What, 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 am I, what am I thinking? You know, I, I think, you know, I, I, would, I would probably think a little bit. Okay, so Start Made as a brand is, you know, very noisy one, et cetera, and foundations of their businesses fixated on, you know, like the accelerator and then all the respective streams that they've spun out from there. Now, you know, that's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. So I don't know whether I'd really, you know, in, in my, you know, I participated in their media fellowship, et cetera. I don't know whether I'm part of the Startmate community. I, I'm, don't, I, I meet some people who've been involved in it, but I don't really have that close association in particular, like yeah. based on that facet. I just meet people who are, who are involved. And, but, you know, undoubtedly, we, we, where I can do my best work if it was for that engagement perspective, et cetera, is, you know, we run our events, et cetera, that's our audience, and we bring a certain amount in, and that's our, you know, it's our investors and the founders and our team and a few others as part of our partner program. And, you know, that starts to become our community of sorts, which is more our village. You know, we're, we're not up in each other's business, you know, day in, day yeah. out, but we're definitely always there for the, you know, reciprocal like it's not a commune, needed. right? It's a, it's a village, not a commune. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. I really want to affirm you, and like as we wrap up, I, I really love the way that you have built a a profile for yourself for Tractor without making it about you. I think that's a really fine line that most you know because you know you've got personality, you bring things to it, but sometimes when the the personality gets elevated above the brand and you mm. start dis- disassociating, like you, you've you've got a really clear sense of mission. And I think it's a great model for people to to look at. A very important last question, because people ask us a lot whether or not we have an actual bus. The answer is no. Is there a real is there a tractor? There sure is, Scott. Because I wiped the, you know, I wiped the shelves that came up with them. So it's not it's not one singular, you know, tractor. It's many, many boxes of Lego tractors that I have I love in my it. possession. <laughs> But mind, mind you, okay, so I go out there with humor. You know, we, we have a bit of a tagline of putting the fun in funding or various other puns, uh, mm-hmm. such as, you know, we're here for a long time, not a long term, and just sort of play on that. Oh, I like that, yeah. Use humor, use, use some playful language, et cetera, and, and really, you know, put the work into, I guess, you know, lean, leaning on some of those anachronisms. But, it, it, yeah, like at, at no point should the – the person be bigger than the brand within the, the, like in terms of what we're doing here. And whilst, you know, I've gone out with some absolutely ludicrous things on, on LinkedIn, for example, personally, I know exactly what I'm doing when I do it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm doing it to, yeah. I'm, I've got little aspects, you know, for in, in my side as like mo- the most heaviest promoter of Tractor, I guess, in terms of, you know, the emoji follows me around everywhere, very frequently out there and sort of, you know, marketing while I sleep, so, so to speak. And, and it's all very humorous whilst the organic reach on that platform is absurd. But, you know, then I 
flip over the other side. It's like I'm not fixated on, you know, being being tagged on every, you know, piece of comms that goes out there as, you know, oh, it comes from me. I'm I'm the driver of this brand. Like it's a collective effort of our team. We run super lean, super lean. And so I can go out there and speak on the events, et cetera. But that tech stack that I talked about, you know, that is powerful for me to talk about. Because when we get away from like, you know, we, we tell a big story and we have a bit of fun and we're, at, you know, we can call out things we don't like and speak with honesty, which works really well for us. When we then get further down into the more technical financial things, it's like, yep, here's how it works. Here's the, here's the things where, yep, we, we do what we say, you know, this is, these are the exact parameters. We've done this. These are the figures. Market with true figures at all, at every chance we can get. And so the, all those factors all, all at once all bundle up into it. Now, just to maybe lean on just some parts of what you said earlier. Yeah. You know, VC is definitely a marketing game and, and no doubt the ability to say we're funding, but then sort of drip feed funding announcements out to give off the perception that that is so is, is a tool utilized by certain VC companies, no doubt. But for, for us, you know, we, we just want to say we're funding this amount of companies. This is, the amount it is now. We don't want to tell, you know, unnecessarily vague or PR-driven stories. We want to lean a bit mm. more into just the practical way we grow. Here's the here's the exact facts. <laughs> you know, ask us any time. We'll tell you the next time how much it's grown. But let me finish it off here, Scott. Like there, there will be a life-size Lego tractor in our future. Mark our words. <laughs> Love it. The last thing that we always ask people in some form is. If you had one piece of advice for a bootstrapping founder in this space, in building brand, what would it be? Building brands. Uh, I, I, I understand this is an element of luxury, et cetera, but you know, we've absolutely lent into you know, some elements of experimentation in terms of how we put there and put this personal voice on it. And, and you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't just sit in the background where you're speaking directly to your customers and sourcing the aspects of it. It's also being out there and talking you know, on the level of the people that are your your audience, your customers, et cetera. So I know that doesn't sound that sexy, et cetera, but it certainly, certainly works for us. You know, we will we will get out there amongst, you know, anyone we would meet and happily interact, et cetera. But I think for us just to sort of know our customer like super well and just referencing what I said before, like I know our founders, like I know them. They love pop culture. You know, we we there is a trait with the company, the companies and the people that we fund, like it's very easy to build relationships. So we come in, I guess, with relatively low pretense and build relationships really quickly. But most importantly, in that is trust. They just trust us. They know they know that we talk the thing, we do what we say. It doesn't have to always get that com- more complicated than that. And that trust extends to that we deliver the fastest nose at one point and then eventually mm. fund them down the track. The mm. the ability to give nos as opposed to string people along for an eventual no, is actually an important part of our brand building. Love it. I, I think we could have a number of different discussions and we'll have to have you back to, to do that. But thank you so much for your time today. I know I got a lot out of that. I'm sure our listeners will too. Yeah, please, Scott. And yeah, I love bootstrappers. Anyone can jump into my DMs anytime. I live in there. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Thank you. You can find Gary Williams on LinkedIn, that's Gary with two R's, and find out more about Tractor Ventures at tractorventures.com. And that's it for the bootstrap for this episode. If you've been enjoying the show, 
please subscribe or follow the show wherever you listen. And of course, we'd love a positive rating review to help others find the show. This is our final Bootstrap episode for 2023. During the holiday break, we will be bringing you some selected episodes from our Founder Story podcast starting line so that your feed and your ears are not too lonely. We thank you for all of your support, encouragement, and feedback so far. And we're very much looking forward to bringing you fantastic new episodes early in 2024. The Bootstrap is a production of Swivel Media and The Product Bus. It was developed by me, Scotty Allen, and Declan McGee. This episode was produced and written by Declan McGee. We are edited by Sammy Perryman, original sound design by Rob Clark. If you're an early stage founder looking for resources and practical help, check out theproductbus.com and get in touch. Swivel.